Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Julie Wilkerson, and I'm the owner and founder of Wilkerson Accounting Solutions. I'm really excited to be here with Kush Birdie, who is the owner and founder of Birdie & Co Solicitors. And we're going to be talking all about M&A today. We're going to look at... Um, different parts of the process because uh, we both specialize in mergers and acquisitions and I have a lot of conversations with people buyers and sellers about how to prepare for exit but also key things to think about when buying businesses um, so Kush is a really experienced M&A advisor uh, working on sort of one to 10 million deals. His his solicitor firm sort of does his sweet spots around one to three million um, and probably worked on a 50 to 100 deals over his um, time in M&A. Uh, so there's gonna be lots of expertise in the room today. So <laughs> Kush, first of all, I'd like to hand over to you. Um, Thanks very much. Tell a little bit about yourself and why you chose to come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks Julie for the introduction there. Um, so I think that, yeah, so as, as Julie said, I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Birdie & Co. Um, our core area is, is M&A. Um, and the reason why we wanted to do this podcast today is just to really, really um, give practical insights and share our experience in terms of what we see on M&A deals. Um, you know, whether it's on the sell side or the buy side with, with the combined experience on the sort of the financial and accounting side and the legal side, we're both obviously collectively well-placed um, to uh, share the, the trials and tribulations and the successes, of course, of the M&A deals we work on. So it'd be really good to, to use our combined um, um, experiences in the way. So I hope that everybody can receive really, really valuable um, information and, and, and in order to help them use maximize their strategy of whether it's acquiring or if you're looking to sell down the line, um, then hopefully this podcast will be really helpful for you today. Touching upon sort of like the due diligence process, I suppose. My understanding is you support uh, acquirers in their due diligence process. Yeah. yeah. So if we've worked with the seller to get ready to exit, we'd do be on the sell side due diligence, having the pack and everything ready. Obviously, if the buyer approaches us, we act as the acquisition CFO for the buyer. So yeah, we'd help them on their due diligence. Um, so we basically do financial, operational and tax. Okay. Other areas of due diligence that we look at. Yeah. Um, now, uh, that would be our full package. And the reason we suggest commercial and financials done together is because... There are a lot of commercial, a lot of the commercial questions will eventually impact the cash flow. So when we go back to all this risk planning, scenario planning, and corporate governance, like safeguarding the business, um, that all does come around the commercials. But in the end, the commercials is what impacts the cash flow. Yeah, I um, guess like things like debt recovery, um, you know, recovering invoices, that kind of thing is, I guess, a big part of that. The procedures, I mean, for that, what the process yeah. is in place for that, that kind of stuff is relevant. I guess. Yeah. And just things like, you know, people that try and do their own, you know, I'm not saying that business owners aren't commercially savvy. It's not about trying to say they can't understand it because obviously they will have their own discussions and be doing it. 
but it's how will things impact that later forecast. So for instance, you know, we do only do financial due diligence for people if that's what they choose, if they've got a commercial team, but mm -hmm. it doesn't always sink as well as if you do the full due diligence, because for instance, if we do the financial only, we'll do a top level forecast. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get into the trends, which we know seasonalities, um, the accuracy of bookkeeping month on month, profit margins, which does show, which they show, those trends show a lot about a business, you know, because if you see poor trends, you know they've got poor bookkeeping. So that means fundamentally there's a bit of then can you actually trust the overall accounts? You know, because mm. if it's not, if they haven't got answers to things. Yeah. And for instance, they'll always say, sellers will often say, oh, my account just did it for tax purposes. That's fine. But why haven't you got an adjustment then show it without that for tax purposes? Sure. Those sorts of things they should have ready. This is what the seller should have ready. Yeah, so useful. Um, because why wouldn't, because it just means a little bit. And, and if your accountant's doing it, why would, and the accountant knows you're selling, then I this is when you might want to bring third parties in because why wouldn't you already have the adjustments there ready? I don't think you should be going into due diligence about those types of reports. Um, but um, yeah, so, but things where it impacts would just be things like, okay, your top five biggest customers. Okay, mm. so where, fair enough, you can look at the contracts, you can look at when does it own, but how quick do they pay? So we always see sellers go, oh, they pay within 30 days, but what do your debtors they show? Mm. How quick are you paying suppliers? What do your creditors they show? Um, you know, things like, is the business trademarked, you know, because yeah. we have, we have partners where we help with trade, we help with trademarking in our okay. full due diligence. We would help at least a basic trademark search. Um, but if it's not trademark, what's the financial consequence of it? You know, mm. that's the, that's the question you're asking, isn't it? If mm. in the commercial and, and due diligence process, you find things in the end, the biggest risk is a financial consequence. So that always leads, it's always the accounts that end up with the impact. That's why finance become a key part in the whole overall end-to-end -end planning of a business, Absolutely. because it's the budgets, the cash flow and the finance that are always impacted at the end if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, like I say, even if by employees leaving, um, you know, fines, uh, suing, customers not paying, things like that, that all impacts the cash flow. So when we when we do our commercial scenario plans, we would really be delving down into not only the baseline of the business, because there is a historic trend. Also, what does the buyer want to add on to grow the business? Because that's obviously a key part of why the buyer is buying it. But also looking at, you know, what are the potential risk and budgets they might need in the forecast? You know, the upfront fees, uh, you know, do they need to replace a role? Have they got enough staff? You know, mm -hmm. do you know, are they behind? Are they understaffed? Um, and then just budgets in general, you know, should they have a provision for recruitment fees if they might need to, you know, what would happen if three employees left? Because it, it has happened. Mm. Um, because we always know engagement engagement in employees is a risk post-acquisition because they might not like the new structure. Yeah. So there's, all, there's a risk that it could happen, quite a high risk, I think. Um, yeah. And what does that do? Um, to, uh, so then I always think you need like, what's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? And then a bit of scenario planning so that you can play around with the models to see. And that's what we would call commercial. Yes, there's asking questions, mm -hmm. things like costing, but in the end, what do they do to the cash flow and the finances? That's going to be the critical thing in the end, because it's going to be that, like that sustains the business long term. Yeah, yeah, really useful. I mean, with the the staff as well. I mean, it's always a sensitive issue as to what stage 
are they or some of them informed about the the sale or the acquisition um, that's often a sensitive topic where again collaboration has to occur um, and, and when that happens because that can be you know it then drives into that commercial risk of how what the reaction is going to be or or, or not going to be um, so all really really important um, I mean on the legal side I mean due diligence is so it's just so important on on a range of issues I mean I think there's certain areas that whenever we're doing an acquisition we would look at certain things straight straight away we'll just get straight on it because they're just so important things like intellectual property protection um property so if there's a leasehold or freehold property then that's going to be critical because it's going to be a, either directly or indirectly a, a sizable chunk of the value um of of, of the deal um, so we'd want to look at that really, really closely, um, especially if the business relies on its property, on its premises, which can be the case. Um, and But then even just other things like, you know, outstanding. So if there's like, I don't know, secured loans in the company, then we want to make sure those are going to be discharged at completion. But not just that, we need to make sure we've got the right paperwork as well, the right releases from those lenders to make sure we've got written evidence that there's no outstanding amounts. Um owed those lenders post acquisition because that's really really important as well there, there could be some kind of historic loan that's covered by that wasn't disclosed that the, the seller thought was paid off or, or or probably maybe was maybe like 99% paid off but it wasn't and then actually the lender's security isn't released after completion because oh we've got this historic loan where there's you know x amount of interest outstanding we're not releasing our security so um, that 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 can happen if you haven't got the right checks in place and you're not making sure you've got the right confirmations um, through the, throughout the due diligence process and paperwork, um, ultimately. So uh, again, even with like the commercial stuff that, that you were talking about, the, the, the legal aspects falls, you know, overlaps with that as well. Uh, and again, financial, because as you say, it all feeds into financial impact on the business if those risks materialize. So things like change of control clauses in contracts, it could be that there's, I don't know, key assets which are on I don't know, high purchase agreements or high value high purchase agreements or financial leases, that kind of thing. And usually you'd w want to look for if there's a chain of control, whether those um, financial um, products can be called in. That is a definitely a legal risk that we see a lot because someone that's providing, you know, asset finance or high, any kind of lease arrangements are, are providing it to the current, to the company, but, with the trust of the current owners, right? And how they've operated the business. But if there's a change of control, then that would then need to be reviewed. And usually there'd be a clause in there to allow those products to be withdrawn, which you obviously wouldn't want if you're acquiring a business. So those checks are really, really mm -hmm. important to make. Um, and there's other things as well. You know, are you registered at, with, for data protection? Those kinds of things yeah. we see cropped up. Is it, is it all renewed? And there can be financial risks associated with that and, and reputational risks as well. So, so yeah. Yeah, there's there's a big risk, and I think our our experience of post acquisition is operations do usually drop mm. because what typically happens is the buyer doesn't want to work in it, which is fine, and they might have all that sorted. You know, maybe the old owner's staying on, um, but then what's that relationship like now that that owner's being managed? You know, a lot of buyers will come in and want to have KPIs and mm. the forecast, and this business these employees just aren't used to doing it, and by sort of obviously you've got to try and inform put that in place but you've got to try and put that in place whilst 
managing the expectation of those employees to a point because you can't just come in and start dictating <laughs> things that they haven't done. You know, you might have employees that have worked there for, you know, 10, 20 years yeah. and never been asked to do it. And it does cause, you know, and that's where like our experience as CFOs and financial experts is where we help because obviously we've got experience from that from corporate. You know, we're now corporate world. We used to work with all the different, we would work with the whole supply chain, like all the directors in the supply chain and help them with their budgets and help them manage it. And we've got that experience of, I suppose, business partnering with different areas and, sure. and maybe you know if you and if you haven't got that experience we have seen people do it in quite dictatorial ways and it does cause operational problems we have seen people leave and you know bad relationship with employees and ultimately in the end if the employees become disengaged and and the operations drop just that alone will cause a cash flow issue yeah. It's getting them engaged and having, which is why meeting the employees as part of the due diligence process and having conversations, mm. um, I think is quite important as well. Um, yeah. And making sure you bring on a HR expert for your deal as well. Um, make sure there's no issues on the employee side. And, you know, getting an org chart and find out who the people are, you know, the amount of times we see, oh, it's a finance director and it's actually the owner's wife or husband. You know, they're not a qualified finance director. Yeah. They've just put them in that role because they've done the bookkeeping for all the years. Um, and obviously, I think as a buyer, they want to start getting the right people in place. And often buyers do. Buyers do typically invest, I think, especially post-intuition on the right type of thing. Yeah, the right roles. But the question is, do they know what the right role is? Like who the right role? Because that's one thing we would look at in due diligence is we'd look at the finance team and say, okay. where do we think the risks are? Because ultimately, if that buyer wants cash flows and reporting relatively quickly after acquisition, you know, if they can't even produce a monthly amount, if they don't have anybody to produce this monthly management account, it's not just going to happen after acquisition because someone's <laughs> going to have to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's why, and this is where additional budgets, like this consultancy post-acquisition, the, the, they've, the seller's never invested fully in the finance team. You know, we see businesses of five, six million without a CFO, you know, and you'd be looking at parts, you know, they're probably not spending 50 grand's worth on finance that they should be spending. Just the same, they might not have a HR advisor, they might not use a proper IT firm and things like that, you know, yeah. which might be, you know, underestimating. And this is the type of thing we would look at as part of our sort of budgeting forecasting, because I think that's the most important thing is the buyer building their own forecast, taking the sellers if they've got it. Normally they haven't, so they have to do it from scratch. Mm. But then taking it and building their own as to what they think needs in. Now they might choose to then, you know, sometimes it might be immaterial. Like the odd fifty-five, hundred thousand pounds here isn't going to materially change the deal, mm -hmm. but it is a cash impact. Yeah. And ultimately, paying back loans isn't a profit impact; it's a cash impact. So mm. it's all a cash impact of what the cash flow will do after acquisition. Yeah. Well, cash is king, they say. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and that, and you know, particularly post acquisition that immediate period is obviously critical right um and, and that's what buyers are looking at straight away right yeah so um so yeah really important so on on the due diligence side um uh do you do you work closely with the lawyers as well in, in the due diligence process or do you kind of just do it as a side because usually the seller's side will set up a data room like a sort of an online sort of portal to host all the paper the documentation disclosure documentation and would you usually have access to that and and sort of be able to review everything um there yeah i mean we do like to keep in contact with all the advisors on the deal because ultimately in the end they might share information i suppose where we have our biggest 
involvement would be warranties. Yep. So what we typically, obviously I know there is normal standard clauses and maybe it's something you could touch on is what are the normal standard warranties. So for instance, tax is usually a warranty that, you know, if there's a tax audit for historic tax, the seller is usually liable. But sometimes we might find specific things where we might recommend additional warranties. Mm-hmm. More for disclosure, I don't know whether, and this is why we lie with the uh, solicitors, because we don't always know, is it a warranty or is it in the disclosure notes or Absolutely. things like that, where the best place to put it is. But like as an example, you know, if they've got invoice factoring and we've done the reconciliation on the balance sheet integrity and they can't reconcile the number, there's a risk. Yeah. And, and the discrepancy will be a percentage risk. And if we see big risks... Well, ultimately, it's down to the buyer if they want to proceed, because this would be times when would the buyer, is there a time if the seller's books are so bad, would the buyer pull out? But ultimately, that's then down to, we would never tell the buyer what to do. Ultimately, they can choose their own risk profile. Um, But we would just highlight, and if we did see big, if they did want to continue, we might say, we might recommend an additional clause. Obviously, it's then down to them to work with the, so, so we would probably say it, in yes. communications, we would then expect the solicitors and them to absolutely pull to up the right in. the right terminology because we don't know the legal terminology to put to protect them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have done that, and it has worked because the reason we do it though is we not we would let the, the solicitors write the legal words. Obviously, most parties don't understand the legal terminology. We would focus more on explaining to buyer and seller the reality behind what we found, so that yeah. both of them, so that seller understands the risk as well. Because ultimately, if it happens afterwards. You know, if it, something does come through tuition, it, the seller might not, oh, yeah, well, they did explain that. It might just make it easier to have those conversations about having to go down the legal route to enforce it afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously we would expect the solicitors more to write the legal to protect the buyer from that element of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we frequently work with you know, different types of accountants on that where we've we've had feedback. Oh, you need to put this protection in there. Go and put it in right way or whatever. We might draft it and say do you think this wording is okay is this wide enough or whatever and to an extent you'll know to an extent you might not um but i think yeah working together is always always good and i think it's just about getting the right protection yeah but even you know talking you know when you were talking about just explaining the implications to the buyer um even if there is legal protection i suppose you've still got to deal with it um, in the first instance, you might have be able to enforce a contract, but you then got to go and enforce it. But in the meantime, you've then potentially got an issue to deal with. So I suppose those are the conversations you're having in terms of saying, well, how are you going to deal with this whilst then enforcing this contract? Um, obviously, we deal on the we deal with the enforcement side of it. Um, and then in terms of, I suppose, usually if 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 the price is subject to an adjustment based on the financial position on the completion day, which we call completion accounts process, um, we would usually require or request input from people like yourselves um, on sort of what those, you know, how quickly they can be produced, the completion accounts, and, um, whether there's any specific policies that should apply to formulating those. Um, do you support with all that as well? Yeah, well, this is, I mean, it would depend what we do with the buyer when they've bought the business and who the accountants are and bookkeepers and things like that. I mean, ultimately, normally a bookkeeper would transact. So that can, and we have bookkeepers now. So if, um, you know, someone's just on deal one or deal two, we do often become like an outsourced bookkeeper. Um, I suppose if they've, 
you know, if, but if the accountants and the bookkeepers have, have transacted quite well within the acquisition process, it might be we don't need to do that afterwards. You know, our ultimate isn't always to do everything. Yeah. You know, sometimes some are better than others. Sometimes it has been really poor. Sometimes it's been okay. Um, and we often on the integration will sometimes we, we do mentor train and help on board junior staff as well. So if eventually people need it internally, then like we can help them do that. Or we would help work with the staff that are already there. Mm. And maybe our role might be to help train and oversee them if if then if maybe there are some risks in it. So I think it will just depend who the team are on top. It might be they they do it and then we review it. Yeah, you know, it's a secondary check, or it might just be the they didn't really have a team. You know, it was an internal admin doing the bookkeeper, and they just need the support, and then we would come and do it. So it would just depend on who the who the team are. Um, but I think one of the biggest problems we see in acquisitions is people trying to promote people because it seems like the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen people promote, you know, finance staff to maybe finance managers and they don't really have, it's, it's unfair because they haven't got the skills and experience at that time to do it. It doesn't mean they can't study to become it, mm. but it could be unfair on them. Um, and we also see it, you know, people being promoted to managing directors and CEOs and things like that, just because they've been in the business 20 years, but they might not have the skill set to do that job. Yeah, that's so true. And um, I don't, and, and you know, again, sometimes this comes down to many, because people do it for admin reasons, like simplicity. It's just easier to, to promote someone. Yeah. Um, and then, But this is why, you know, they want to have good conversations and due diligence to get a gauge of who the employees are to see. Do they think there's anyone capable? Mm. You know, if they don't think there's anyone, if their gut is telling them, the buyers, their gut's telling them they haven't really got that person, either someone, the seller stays on for longer and trains someone up if there's someone close ready and if there's just not that person then they might just have to recruit mm-hmm. um but it's not always but you know time you know in the end once they become busy after the acquisition that's why you need the support post you know post acquisition as well so i i just want to say thanks Kush, for coming on the podcast it's been really great but if anybody you know needs help with uh legals um where can they find you well, you can find me in lots of places, um, social media. So I'm quite um, active on LinkedIn. Um, so don't hesitate to DM me on, on there or even Instagram. We are on TikTok. We're trying to get a bit better at that. Um, otherwise, you can contact me by email on kush, K-U-S-H, at birdielaw.com. Um, and always happy to sort of have a chat um, with no, no charges involved <laughs> for, for, for an initial chat. So don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. And I just want to say thanks to all the listeners on the Build and Exit podcast. Um, we're nearly at 3,000 downloads now. Um, and we've just set up a new YouTube channel. So if you love the episodes, hit the subscribe button so more viewers can find our channel. See you soon. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon. 